Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is Brian Johnson with Brian J. Johnson Law in Danville, Indiana. Attorney Johnson has over two decades experience handling criminal matters of all levels at the trial and appellate level. I began the interview by asking Brian about himself and his firm. I grew up on the south side of Indianapolis um, with Indiana University Bloomington. Uh, when I graduated, I kind of thought the world was going to fall at my feet and want to hire me just because I had a college degree. Didn't work out that way. So I spent about four years um, bartending. Uh, <laughs> I was a restaurant manager, and then I applied to law school, um, was accepted. It was kind of a new lease on life. So I um, went to the uh, Indiana University School of Law in Indianapolis, did okay there, came out right in 96, 97, started work as a deputy prosecutor out here in Hendricks County, where my office is located. So I did that. For about three years. In fact, my, my father was a lifelong uh, prosecutor, not here, but basically working for the state. Um, from about 2000 to 2010, I worked in a small firm in Brownsburg, Indiana. Um, and then from, 10, 000, from 2010 on, I've had my own practice and then recently added an associate, uh, Ms. Kelly Piller, last July. So that's kind of brings you up to speed as far as where I am today. There, there we go. There we go. Well, what should I expect from uh... A, a good DUI defense lawyer, a good criminal defense lawyer? And that's an excellent question. And I think first thing I always start with, um, and obviously I have a website. Most attorneys do. Everybody says, you know, aggressive defense. The first thing I would always recommend is if you can try to get referrals. And even if you've somebody who's never been in trouble, if you know an attorney, um, the attorney world is relatively small. Try to get referrals from somebody. Um, but going beyond that, I always say, beware of the attorneys who promise you the moon and the stars. Uh, especially for a price. There are some situations, and again, a first offense ODBY where the facts are fairly standard, nothing egregious. You know, in a particular uh, area, we might be able to tell you, all right, this is pretty much what, what's going to happen. But as things become more complex or the charges become more serious, it becomes more difficult to predict because there's more time that somebody may be looking at, be looking at more variables. So I always say, be wary of somebody who is promising you a certain outcome, you know, pay me this, We'll get it dismissed. You know, you'll get probation. Be wary of that. And usually those are the same attorneys who feel the need to badmouth other attorneys in the field. I've never done that. I never. I don't feel the need to do that. So those are things to look uh, to be afraid of. On the positive note is look for an attorney who uh, talks to you with candor and is honest with you. Um, and that includes sometimes telling you things you don't want to hear. You know, I, I have told people through the years, listen, if you want somebody to tell you what you want to hear, then let your mommy represent you. Um, you hire an attorney to tell you what things are, how things are going to happen, whether you think it's fair or not, um, and how you can address the situation, um, how you can mitigate the potential consequences. So that kind of honesty and developing that kind of connection some, to somebody, I think is something you'd want to look for. Absolutely. Well, well, tell me, Brian, what happens after a person is arrested? Generally speaking, and again, it depends on the nature of the charges, and one thing, and this goes beyond drunk driving, Indiana, just within the past week, um, the legislature unanimously, and there's how often you get Republicans and Democrats to agree to something unanimous, unanimously, right. unanimously passed a law that says if you're charged with certain domestic violence crimes, there is a 24-hour um, cooling off period before you can even bond out of jail. Um, so there are situations like that where you're going to be held with no bond until you're brought in front of a judge. But in a more typical situation, and this is something where it's good to have an attorney who knows kind of the local players. Each county in Indiana is going to have its own local rules and they're going to have their own local bond schedule. So 
let's take a, a drunk driving or operating intoxicated case, for example. Um, typically, you're going to have, and there's no, you're not on probation. It's the first offense. Typically, you're going to have a relatively low bond. Indiana's moved more towards cash bonds and away from bondsmen as part of their bail reform. Um, so you may have a $300 or $500 cash bond. If you bond out of jail, you're going to have an initial hearing where you appear back in court. Um, it's supposed to be within 10 days on an operating intoxicated case or 20 days with any other case. But a lot of our judges don't know that. So it could be a month later. Um, if you don't bond out of jail, you're going to be brought before a judge. Typically, the next business day, uh, the state has 72 hours to bring charges. or Otherwise, you're supposed to be released. Um, but that's kind of how the process works. The other thing in Indiana that we are moving as we're moving away from bondsmen is you may have a pretrial release officer. The idea is you're not on probation, but they find that people are less likely to fail to appear in court and less likely to reoffend while they're out on bond if they have somebody they meet with on a regular basis. So so th those in a very general sense are some of the things that you're going to be looking at when you're arrested. Well, can a person simply go to court and talk to the prosecutor? Um, and that's something, again, having been a former prosecutor, I would tell you that's something I was personally very reluctant to do. Everybody has a right to an attorney, and the court is supposed to engage in an inquiry to make sure that if somebody's going to proceed without an attorney, that they are doing so knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily. And, and there's certain exceptions to that. For me as a prosecutor, I tended to not want to talk to somebody um, unless the judge has already made a record that that person has voluntarily waived their rights. And the other thing is that first hearing you go to, that initial hearing, that prosecutor may not be the one who's actually assigned to the case. Now, there are counties where prosecutors are more than willing to talk to you. And in fact, I think the judges encourage it. And I think to, to tell you my, my perspective, I think some of these counties out here, they encourage that because they know that um, if somebody can't afford an attorney, they have to appoint one for them. So they almost kind of try to push them. Down. Well, just why do you work something out with the prosecutor? So it's something that can be done. But, and again, and I know this is something we'll talk about in the future or later on, but that prosecutor is an adversarial system. He's not there to explain things to you. He's going to or should treat you just like he would an attorney, and you're kind of left on your own there. So, But most attorneys I know, prosecutors, don't like talking to uh, defendants. They'd rather they get an attorney. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well let's talk about DUI law in Indiana. Um, what are the penalties for a DUI first? The statutory penalties, so if you're looking at the first offense, you're looking at a minimum of no jail time, no time, um, no fine, and no license suspension up to one year in jail, $5,000 fine, um, and a, up to a one-year license suspension. Though That's the range of penalties. Um, more typically for a first offense, what really happens, assuming you don't have an accident, assuming you didn't test point three zero, and that's why you can always just speak in generalizations. There can always be particulars of a case where a prosecutor is going to look at it differently. But assuming, let's say, you're, you're speeding – um, the cop pulls you over, you test point one, two, you're not abusive, no real particular egregious things going on. Typically, in most counties, you're going to be looking at a year probation um, with having a substance abuse evaluation, following through with any recommended counseling, attending a Mothers Against Drunk Driving Victim Impact Panel, um, a, which is a one-time deal, um, subjected to random drug and alcohol screens. Uh, and then the other issue is the license suspension and how that can impact you. And I know that's something, this may be a good segue because yeah, I know yeah, absolutely. You, want, 
wanted to know what would happen, what happens with your driver's license. And this is where there's some variability. Just like I can talk about generally what happens on a first offense OWI, I can tell you some counties won't require any probation depending on whether you do things. Again, it's why it's valuable to hire an attorney. But with regards to the driver's license, there's, there's two things to bear in mind. There is the driving suspension that happens because of a conviction, but also because driving is considered a privilege, even if you haven't been convicted at that first initial hearing, the court is required by law, if it has probable cause to believe you've operated a vehicle while intoxicated, to suspend your driving privileges. Um, and that's an administrative suspension. There's two types of suspensions associated with that. One is if you test at least 0.08, um, it's a 180-day administrative suspension. If you refuse to take a chemical test, it's one year or two years. Now, this is the other thing that I like to bring up that people aren't aware of and where having an attorney can be valuable. Indiana has recognized that people need to drive to eat, to work. We don't have mass transit here. The statute specifically provides at that initial hearing, if you tell the judge, hey, judge, I want to petition for specialized, we call it specialized driving privilege. It's essentially a hardship license. The court cannot legally suspend your license at that initial hearing but must instead stay that suspension and set it for a hearing on whether you get specialized driving privileges. And that hearing has to be within 30 days. And you have 10 days to file that petition. If you don't, the license suspension kicks in. And even at that hearing on specialized driving privileges, the judge doesn't have to grant it. It's discretionary. I will tell you as a practical matter, a lot of judges like to hold that driver's license suspension while your case is pending over you, saying, listen, the only way I'm going to let you drive legally again is if you plead guilty. And then again, what you're looking at, typical range, 30 days, 90 day suspension. Again, depending on the facts, you may get away with no suspension. But again, it just, that's where having an attorney to represent you really helps out. Okay. Now, speaking of segues, backing up a little more, you, you talked about the the testing. Do I, do I have to, or does a person in Indiana, if they get pulled over a DUI, do they have to submit to the roadside testing? The roadside testing, no. So the field sobriety test and the portable breath test, you're not required to, and there's no ramification for not doing so. These, What will happen if you refuse and the officer believes he has probable cause? He will advise you what's called implied consent. He will say, I have probable cause. I believe you've operated a motor vehicle. I must now offer you the opportunity to take a certified chemical test. I must also tell you, if you refuse to take that test, your license will be suspended for one year or two years if you have a prior. That certified test, whether it's a blood draw or on a certified instrument, um, if you refuse that, your license will be suspended, again, for one year or two years. And that does impact also whether or not you can get specialized driving privileges or a stay of suspension at that initial hearing. If you have refused, you are not eligible for that. The court may give you ignition interlock. That's discretionary, but you can't stay the suspension if you refuse. I will also tell you, as a practical matter, just as for somebody roadside saying, well, what happens if I tell the cop I'm not going to take your portable breath test? Well, yes, legally, there is no suspension that's going to happen from that. But I can tell you if you're at the point as a practical matter where the cop is saying, I'm offering you this portable breath test and you say no, there is no circumstance in which he's not going to put you in handcuffs and take you to the police station and have ask you to take that certified test. So know that if you refuse, you will be going to jail or the police department to take a certified test. And if you refuse, what will typically happen is the cop's going to say, well, I still have probable cause to believe you've operated while intoxicated. Even without that test result, I'm still arresting you. And we'll, we'll, and, and this is the other thing too. 
what will typically happen in Indiana, and I'm not sure how well, how prevalent this is in other states. If you refuse and you're thinking, hey, oh, this is great. Now they don't have this chemical test. You know, well, 99 times out of 100, they're going to wake up a judge in the middle of the night um, and apply for a search warrant. And then they're going to do a blood draw on you anyway. So if your thought is, well, you know what? I know I'm going to blow over. I may as well refuse. Back in the old days when I started practicing, they wouldn't get search warrants. Great for a defense attorney. Um, nowadays, then they have you coming and going. So you have the refusal, which causes the automatic license suspension. And if you're over the limit, they're still going to have that test result that they can use to prosecute you anyway. Okay. Now, I know that the police have some very stringent protocols they have to follow throughout this uh, whole thing. And I know cops are only human, like like the rest of us. Um, if they don't follow those protocols, if they make a mistake, uh, could that get a person out of a DUI conviction? How does that work? Absolutely. So, and the way that works, for example, the breath test instruments or the breath test machines, there are certain procedures they have to follow. If they don't follow those procedures, then those breath test results cannot be admitted into court. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be prosecuted for operating while intoxicated. And this is something that where there's a distinction. There's two types of drunk driving charges called drunk driving. You have operating while intoxicated, which is really focusing on the physical characteristics of being impaired. Um, that's where they talk about field sobriety tests, driving behavior, you slurred speech, things of that nature. Then you have the per se offense, which is if you test at least 0.08 or if you have a controlled substance or intoxicating drug in your system, whether or not you appear to be sober or not, just having that in your system um, in and of itself is a crime. The way they're related is if you test at least 0.08, the law is going to presume that you're intoxicated within the meaning of the statute. Anytime you take a test, they're going to charge you with both operative intoxicated and the operating per se. But in my experience, unless, you know, the cops have you on video and you look like you're a stumble bum drunk, um, it's very difficult uh, with a skilled attorney. And if you're trying it to a jury as opposed to a judge for the state to get a conviction. So it does help. And that's one of the things you look at an attorney for is, all right, did the cops do everything right in this case? Unless, you know, the cops have you on video and you look like you're a stumble bum drunk. Um, it's very difficult uh, with a skilled attorney. And if you're trying it to a jury as opposed to a judge for the state to get a conviction. So it does help. And that's one of the things you look at an attorney for is, all right, did the cops do everything right in this case? Um, and if they didn't, then that may help you. Same thing with the stop. If they stopped you and they didn't have a valid reason for the stop or applying for a search warrant, did they do something wrong in the search warrant on that blood draw? These are things. In fact, I have one going up to the Court of Appeals. Uh, I have an oral argument on June 6th where that's one of the thing issues we're arguing is what the officer put in the probable cause was misleading. You know, those are things where cops have certain things they have to follow strictly. If they don't do that, the results are out. Um, doesn't mean you automatically get a walk, but it certainly increases your advantage or chances of beating a case at trial. Plea bargains? Are there? Uh, I know there's plea bar bargains for criminal offenses everywhere. How about DUIs? Certainly, and and that's something for people to consider. Um, the idea of the plea bargain is you get some benefit. The idea is if you plead guilty, we may dismiss charges, we may um, give you a more lenient sentence. Um, the other thing is sometimes it may be an incentive for somebody to resolve a case more quickly. 
So plea, plea bargaining is part of the process, um, which also kind of brings me to the other thing is, well, what happens if I don't take a plea bargain? Let's say I want to take it to trial. Well, there's a couple things. One, typically an attorney is going to charge you more to try the case. And I will also tell you as a practical matter, to try an operative while intoxicated case, except on very narrow situations, in my personal experience, and most drunk driving attorneys are going to agree, you're not going to try it to the bench, to the judge. I call a bench trial a long guilty plea hearing. Uh, the state presents their evidence, you present your evidence, the judge finds you guilty. If you're actually trying to beat a case, you're going to try it to a jury. A, a, a case that might take a day or an hour or two to try to a judge, it might take one to two days. So attorney is going to charge you more for that. And that's where there's kind of a cost benefit for somebody. Hey, does it make sense for me to try this? Because it doesn't make spend, sense to spend more money uh, on an attorney on a chance of beating a case than the, the DUI would cost you yourself uh, itself. Now, some people may be in a different situation. For example, if you have a commercial driver's license, even if it's your personal vehicle, if you have a commercial driver's license, you lose your CDL for one year. That person may have a different incentive um, to try a case. But going back to ramifications, I like to, again, having been a prosecutor, I, I tell this, this anecdote back in the 90s, because there, there, that's the other thing. There's nobody, no matter how good you are as an attorney, nobody walks on water, nobody waves their magic attorney finger, makes a case go away. Some attorneys are better than others at finding those flaws but at the end of the day, there still have to be flaws to have a real good chance of success. So plea, plea bargaining is part of the process, um, which also kind of brings me to the other thing is, well, what happens if I don't take a plea bargain? Let's say I want to take it to trial. Well, there's a couple things. One, typically an attorney is going to charge you more to try the case. And I will also tell you as a practical matter, to try an operative while intoxicated case except on very narrow situations, in my personal experience, and most drunk driving attorneys are going to agree, you're not going to try it to the bench, to the judge. I call a bench trial a long guilty plea hearing. Uh, the state presents their evidence, you present your evidence, the judge finds you guilty. If you're actually trying to beat a case, you're going to try it to a jury. A, a, a case that might take a day or an hour or two to try to a judge, it might take one to two days. So attorney is going to charge you more for that. And that's where there's kind of a cost benefit for somebody. Hey, does it make sense for me to try this? Because it doesn't make spend, sense to spend more money uh, on an attorney on a chance of beating a case than the, the DUI would cost you yourself uh, itself. Now, some people may be in a different situation. For example, if you have a commercial driver's license, even if it's your personal vehicle, if you have a commercial driver's license, you lose your CDL for one year. That person may have a different incentive um, to try a case. But going back to ramifications, I like to, again, having been a prosecutor, I, I tell this, this anecdote back in the 90s, because there, there, that's the other thing. There's nobody, no matter how good you are as an attorney, nobody walks on water, nobody waves their magic attorney finger, finger, makes a case go away. Some attorneys are better than others at finding those flaws. But at the end of the day, there still have to be flaws to have a real good chance of success. So when I was a young prosecutor, probably 98, 99, um, I had a case, it was a 0.12 case against this defense attorney who at the time per was perceived to be one of the best in the country. So, and here I am wet behind the ears prosecutor. But thing is, it's a 0.12 test. There was no problem with the test. The officer on the case was, before he went into the police department, worked security on Air Force One. I mean, he was buttoned up tight. We spent two days in trial. His client was still convicted. 
which and at that time in 98, it charged ten thousand dollars plus expenses. So you just for inflation, you're probably talking twenty twenty five. And when it came to sentencing, um, and now that I'm a defense attorney, I look at this and think, gosh, I was really a jerk. I asked for 30 days in jail as opposed to probation, and I asked for a 180-day license suspension. The judge looked at me and said, well, Brian, why are you doing that? Everybody comes in here, they plead guilty, they get probation. I said, well, judge, the difference is those people have accepted responsibility. You know, So while you have a right to make the state prove your guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, what you don't have the right is to be treated the same as somebody who has accepted responsibility. Now, as a defense attorney, we call that the trial tax. That's the, you know, hey, you went to trial, you're right to do it. You didn't accept responsibility. Jury found you guilty. Now there's going to probably be a little extra ramifications for you, in addition to the fact that your case is drug, drug out for a, farce, for a while. So when you talk about plea bargaining, those are some of the things to consider. And when you look at it and say, you know, can I go to jail for this? Well, I mean, maybe if you have a young jerk prosecutor like I was back in 98 and a judge is willing to go along with it. <laughs> That may happen. And also, I will tell you, some counties in Indiana are like that. That's the other part that I probably I didn't touch upon about as much about hiring an attorney is knowing the players and knowing what judges per particular predilections are. Like even in the county where I primarily practice, Hendricks County, we're a, we're considered a donut county to Indianapolis, one of the surrounding counties. We have multiple courts that handle OWIs. Even amongst those judges, there are variances as far as how they treat them. One judge on a first offense may say, I'm not going to take less than a year probation. Another judge may say, if you've done your substance abuse counseling and attended the MAD program before before you go to court, I'm not going to require any probation. So that's kind of going back to the plea bargaining process, hiring attorneys, having somebody who knows um, not just the law, but kind of knows how the individual courts and prosecutors work is important. Well, and one of the questions I was going to ask you, and uh, you, you kind of pretty much uh, answered it, but I guess I'll ask it anyhow. If I if I plan on pleading guilty, do I still need a lawyer? And uh, I mean, you just kind of outline why you do. Well, and a couple of reasons, too. One, I can tell you when I was a prosecutor, the way I typically looked at defendants was you're a name, you're a breath test, you're a criminal history. Do you have no criminal history with your breath test? Part of the attorney's job is to present somebody as an individual and tell you how you can mitigate some of those consequences. Uh, the other part of it is is identifying issues, um, mitigating punishment, like I said. But I guess the analogy I would also use, I'm a do-it-yourselfer. Like, I like to do stuff yourself. I, you know, on some of my older cars, I change the oil, do the brakes. Um, I did the floor of my house. And now that I have a little bit nicer car, it's like, well, I'm not changing the oil. Like, good enough isn't good enough. Right. now for my car and same thing with my floor like i did the floor it looks okay but it doesn't look like a professional did it so if you're talking about something where your liberty on the line you know that's important enough to have an attorney plus there may be unforeseen consequences um it may be hey i'm going to canada oh well guess what that owi is going to prevent you from going to canada you know there are questions that come up that you as a layperson may not know and i'm not you know can i say oh under no circumstances can an intelligent person get the same offer than an attorney? No. I mean, I'm not going to say that. Um, you know, the smartest person I knew in my entire life was my grandfather, grew up in the Depression, had an eighth grade education. I don't think lawyers are better than people or inherently smarter, but we have the experience to kind of know those things and the ability to present you as a person to get the best possible outcome that you're not going to get. It's an adversarial system. It's not the prosecutor's job to give you the best plea if you're representing yourself. It's your what you want is an advocate for you on your side 
um, making the case as to why you should get a better deal than the prosecutor would otherwise offer. Brian, this has been great. Uh, give us your contact information, please. Sure. Um, my phone number, it's uh, 317-718-7000. And the easiest way to find me is my website. It's bjjohnsonlaw.com. So those are the easiest way. I think if you look at Brian Johnson, attorney, Indiana, if you just Google that, you're going to find my website pretty easily. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Uh, my website has a contact form and, and as well as my phone number as well. Our guest today on Ask a Lawyer with Steve Sleeper is criminal defense lawyer Brian Johnson with Brian J. Johnson Law in Danville, Indiana. His phone number is 317-718-7000, and his website is bjjohnsonlaw.com.